Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Hope your Tuesday is going well so far. It's Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. And of course, tomorrow begins the Synod on Synodality in Rome. There's already a lot of breaking news that you may have heard, not only from the Catholic world, but also from the secular world. Several of the networks are covering uh, the Pope's apparent response to the dubia, and also there's some stories on our own websites, including, of course, Catholic News Agency and others. And so we're trying to sort through this. This is all breaking, and the Synod doesn't begin till tomorrow, but at 9.15 Eastern Time, coming up after our news and our weather, we do have an expert, Dr. Pia De Seleni. She's a moral theologian and ethicist, and she has worked in Rome and has spoken at many Vatican conferences. She's excellent, solid as a rock, and she had a piece posted recently on the register, uh, what's in play at the Synod on Synodality, and then also placed a piece recently in America Magazine, uh, Synod Synodality Concerns for Catholics. So we'll put links to those articles on our archive section. I don't know, uh, P and I have uh, exchanged emails yesterday, but I haven't spoken to her this morning. I did reach out to her. I don't know if she's had a chance to see the news, and we'll get her take on it if we can. But we are going to dive into this much more deeply with Father Mitch Pacwa tomorrow on a Thursday with our Cultural Connections. I've been sending Father all morning uh, the articles so we can really dive into this and have the late, actually it's Thursday morning, so not tomorrow morning, but Thursday morning for Cultural Connections. But he is going to be spending the next couple of days in preparation for not only my show, but his shows, I'm sure, to address this because there's some, how we say, uh, interesting takes on this. And this is what we've been talking about, to make sure that when you're following the news on the Synod on Synodality, that you're following the solid sources. And we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and we can't get all upset and all, you know, have this consume us to the point where it gets us away from our prayer and our confidence in the promise of Jesus who promised to protect his church forever. We need to stay focused on that. Again, you're going to see, as we've been mentioning and as Doug mentioned on Friday, you're going to see different outlets spinning things. We don't spin. We give you the truth. We are very clear about what we do here at EWTN, Ave Maria Radio, all of our affiliates. We are here to uphold and explain and defend the teachings of the church. So we're always, as Al Cresta says, looking at everything we do through the lenses of Scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. So just keep that in mind when it comes to your sources. I'm just putting that little disclaimer out there now. All right. Also, after Dr. Pia, we're going to be checking in with Lori Windham. She's the vice president and senior counsel at Beckett Law. And yay, thank you, Jesus. Some good news, major victories for faith-based foster care. And this story is out of the beautiful state of South Carolina. So that is the show for today, Dr. Pia DeSleni and Lori Windham. And then tomorrow on a Wednesday, of course, Joan Lewis will have information on the Synod, what's happening, and I'm sure some response to some of the stories. And then even more on the Synod on Thursday with our very own Father Mitch Paco. So make, tune, you, make, make sure you stay tuned to us, as we always say, all day long and all week long for the latest information. All right, weather-wise, there's some nasty weather that's moving through parts of the country. So we have some severe storms For the Plains, according to the National Weather Service, we have a storm system exiting the west, and this is going to trigger all kinds of problematic weather, widespread severe thunderstorms across the plains that will happen today. 
And now they're saying the storms are expected to produce large hail, damaging winds, heavy rain, possible flooding. What else? Well, apparently there is something else. They're even saying there could be, and this is pretty scary, some tornadoes across the region. So keep that in mind if you're in that area. Ahead of this sprawling system, a number of record high temperatures are possible. And this is from the upper Mississippi Valley and Great Lakes into the Northeast. Now, I was just telling my Michigan listeners in the first hour of the show, we have 85 degrees in Michigan today. I'm not kidding, a high of 85. That's not normal for us in October. Now, October is gorgeous in the Great Lakes state, usually in the low 70s, mid 70s, which is super nice when you're going to the apple orchard or the pumpkin patch and going to get your apple cider and your donuts and just nice to get out there and enjoy it. But 85 is truly an Indian summer. However, reality is going to set back in for many of those areas in the Midwest because the normal temperatures are going to come back later in the week, especially over the weekend. But that is our national weather forecast for today on a Tuesday, October 3rd. Tomorrow is another big feast day, of course, St. Francis of Assisi. As we mentioned, Dr. Pia de Seleni, moral theologian and ethicist, and Lori Windham from Beckett Law. Right now, five minutes past the hour on a Tuesday. It's time, of course, to check the news. So let's get started. State government offices in Colorado and courthouses closed Monday as the state observed Francis Xavier Cabrini Day. Colorado lawmakers authorized the observance back in 2020, establishing the first paid state holiday honoring a woman in the U.S. Mother Cabrini came to the U.S. from Italy back in 1889, opening a missionary school and orphanage in Denver. Near the turn of the century, Cabrini was canonized a saint in the Catholic Church back in 1946. So sad news out of the Archdiocese of Chicago today. Kevin Birmingham, an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese, there, passing away in his sleep last night. The Archdiocese, according to the Catholic News Agency, confirmed that yesterday afternoon. He was only 51 years old. The Archdiocese yesterday publishing an obituary on its website in which the Chicago Archbishop, Cardinal Blaise Supich, called Birmingham a wonderful priest and a bishop and a dear friend and valued colleague. He was only 25 years old when he was ordained as a priest, according to a 2020 article. He grew up in Chicago. He was the seventh of ten children. He attended Niles College Seminary and the University of St. Mary of the Lake, according to the Archdiocesan website. He was also ordained a priest back in May 1997. And again, his final role was as an auxiliary bishop, where he was chosen for that position November 13, 2020. Artificial intelligence and wisdom of the heart for a fully human communication is the theme chosen by the Pope for the 58th World Communications Day, which will be observed next year. A note from the Holy See Press Office announcing the theme observed that the evolution of AI systems makes it ever more natural to communicate through and with machines, so that it is becoming increasingly difficult to distinguish computation from thought and the language produced by a machine from the language generated by human beings. The statement continues, like all revolutions, this one based on artificial intelligence too, poses new challenges to ensure that machines do not contribute to a large-scale system of disinformation and do not also increase the loneliness of those who are already alone, depriving us of the warmth that only communication between people can provide. The Vatican goes on to say it's important to guide artificial intelligence and algorithms so that there is in each individual a responsible awareness of the use and development of these different forms of communication that go hand in hand with social media and the internet. And it's necessary for communication to be oriented toward a fuller life of the human person. 
In other news this morning, San Diego Republican Congressman Daryl Issa asking for a U.S. Senate inquiry after the governor's office choosing to fill California's vacant seat. When Dianne Feinstein passed away last week, the California governor, Gavin Newsom, chose LaFonza Butler. She heads the extreme group Emily's List, a pro-abortion organization that, as LifeNews.com explains, advances abortions up to birth, funded at taxpayer expense, and also works to elect candidates that also support unlimited abortions and fund their campaigns with millions from elites across the country. Butler is already under fire, being a Maryland resident just 30 days ago. She was a California resident, but now lives in Maryland. And Republican Congressman Issa is demanding an investigation. Did she meet the constitutional requirement? And I don't, I don't think she will have at least the spirit of it. Take a week, fly back, spend a day or two at DMV trying to get the license changed. Walk the streets of San Francisco with the, the high waiter boots. The governor's office says she is in the process of changing her voter registration back to California. A nine-year-old girl missing in a New York park, as Trey Thomas reports, has now been found alive and her kidnapper captured after intense days-long search. Governor Kathy Hochul confirmed Monday that Charlotte Cena was kidnapped and that her suspected abductor is in custody. It's been a long two days, but tonight our prayers have been answered. We're overcome with relief and gratitude. She noted that Cena appeared to be in good physical shape as she was rescued Monday evening. Hochul said the suspect left a note at Charlotte's parents' house demanding a ransom. Fingerprint analysis led to the man's mother's home, where a SWAT team found Charlotte in a cabinet inside a camper. The U.S. Supreme Court will not hear a challenge to former President Donald Trump's 2024 ballot eligibility. The high court rejecting the challenge brought by a long-shot Republican presidential candidate. It used a post-Civil War provision of the 14th Amendment and barred former members of the Confederacy from holding office. It argued Trump was ineligible to run due to his alleged connection to the January 6th Capitol riot. Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. He filed a motion yesterday to force a vote to overthrow McCarthy. It's Kevin McCarthy who's out there offering deals to Democrats. So if there's a deal made with Democrats, the only deal is, is to make one with McCarthy. Because I'm not offering anything and won't offer anything. And by the way, if the Democrats want to own Kevin McCarthy, they can have it. Speaking to reporters outside the Capitol, the Florida Republican mentioning House Majority Leader Steve Scalise as a potential replacement. The move comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open, which conservative members of the conference were opposed to. Gates had questioned whether McCarthy cut a secret deal with Democrats on funding for Ukraine. A House vote to keep McCarthy honest speaker could come sometime this week. The United Auto Workers strike now in day number 18. GM announced Monday that it's laying off around 160 workers indefinitely. That comes after the UAW president, Sean Fain, announced an expansion of the union strike on Friday. He said Ford and GM had refused to make meaningful progress at the table. Meanwhile, the GM president, Mary Barra, slamming the UAW when she responded to the strike expansion by saying it's clear there is no real intent to get to an agreement. Meanwhile, Brian Shook tells us the ongoing strike with the UAW is costing the economy so far nearly $4 billion. 
That's according to a study from the Anderson Economic Group, a Michigan-based research firm. It cites lost wages for workers and more than a billion dollars in manufacturing declines at GM, Ford, and Stellantis. The report also accounts for additional costs to suppliers, dealers, and consumers. Thousands of workers are striking against the big three U.S. automakers demanding better pay and added benefits. Ford Motor Company is laying off 330 more employees due to the UAW strike against them, General Motors and Stellantis. Ford spokesman Dan Barbosa is saying, adding to this union news, that their production system is highly interconnected, which means the UAW's targeted strike strategy has knock-on effects for facilities that are not directly targeted for a work stoppage. He adds they are not locking employees out, and the layoffs are the result of the strike at the Chicago Assembly Plant. Jury selection is set to begin today in Manhattan in the trial of STX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. He's facing multiple charges after allegedly defrauding customers of his digital currency exchange FTX and his cryptocurrency hedge fund Alameda Research. At one point, he was a cryptocurrency billionaire and considered to be a CEO with a sense of ethics. He was arrested in the Bahamas last December for wired fraud, money laundering and securities fraud. It's being called a child care cliff. Emergency relief funds that were approved during COVID have expired, leaving daycares looking for answers. It's not looking good for our child care programs who have really relied on these funds to keep their doors open. That's Cody Somerville, heads of Texas Association for the Education of Young Children, saying the funds had been helping child care centers pay their staff and keep costs lower for parents. Without them, some of those centers will close. The ones that will remain open, he says, will be forced to raise their prices. Some federal lawmakers have proposed new funding to fill the gap, but that will be expensive. The world's largest humanoid robot factory will be built in Salem, Massachusetts. Agility Robotics is known for creating the bipedal robot known as Digit, the human-centric multi-purpose robot is designed to work safely in warehouses and distribution centers. The company says it hopes the factory will be able to produce more than 10,000 of them annually. Agility Robotics says 70,000 square feet factories will open later this year. And Aaron Rial tells us a kickoff to holiday shopping creeps up every year, but this year it's even sooner than you might think. This year, half of shoppers plan to begin their holiday shopping by Halloween, according to a recent bank rate report. Retail Me Not found that as many as 64% of shoppers are kicking off the season in October, up from 53% last year. With more shoppers getting an early start on the season, holiday retail sales are likely to increase between 3.5 and 4.6%, according to Deloitte's annual forecast. In spite of student loan repayments restarting next month, healthy employment and income growth are keeping sales volume up. When it comes to consumer spending the biggest factor is usually whether people have a job and we are near full employment and it won't be in time for this christmas season but toys r us is slated to open some 24 new brick and mortar shops as early as next year the parent company whp global announcing it's new what they're calling air land and sea expansion for those stores and that will include some two dozen traditional flagship shops in major cities In addition, the company also plans to kick off holiday launches next year at airports and on cruise ships with the first of those venues slated for Dallas-Fort Worth Airport actually this November. The once-trumbled company opened a massive outpost at New Jersey's American Dream Mall in 2021 following its 2017 bankruptcy. But both of those stores will be opening next year. 
It is a Tuesday morning, October 3rd. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN for the weather, the news, and all things Catholic. Dr. Pia Desleni on hold. We'll get to her up next right after this break. We're talking about the Synod on Synodality. It begins tomorrow in the Eternal City of Rome. And there's a lot of news already coming out of Rome, but just make sure you stay focused, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and know his promises for the church. And also make sure you tune in to us because we have great experts like Dr. Pia and others to discuss this. Father Mitch Pacwa will be sharing more about his insights. He's actually looking at some of the articles this morning that are coming out from both the Vatican and various news sources, both Catholic and secular. I'm sure Pia has been doing the same. We will discuss up next. And then we're also going to discuss a victory for families and life. And our friends at Becca Law will be updating us on that. A busy Tuesday. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Eighteen minutes past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to Catholic Connection. It's a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, and we will be discussing the synod on synodality, of course, covering it for you in the next couple of weeks. And EWTN is people on the ground there, along with the Register, uh, and of course Catholic News Agency and all of our publications. And we also rely on the great advice of many of our columnists and contributors, including experts such as moral theologian and ethicist, our friend Dr. Pia Desleni, who's already penned some articles on the synod again, which begins tomorrow. But Pia, let me get your reaction first, because I know you woke up to some of the news, and there's been a lot of coverage already, and the Senate hasn't even started yet. So here we go. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Teresa. It's always good to be with you. So your thoughts, just I know we're going to get into your articles, which were very good, but just your thoughts on, on what you're hearing so far and all the the headlines and a lot of people getting nervous. And anyway, it's it's already making headlines. 
Well, I mean, with the dude, yeah, honestly, if I had been asked, I would not have advised it. Um, I think that, you know, as I said in the National Catholic Register article, I think anything that we do that's front-facing needs to be building up the body of Christ, right? And we have to ask ourselves, is this creating confusion, or is this building up the body of Christ? And I, you know, I, I'm sure that the Cardinals had the best of intentions, but we all could have told you how this is going to go. I mean, it's just not going to go well. And so... I, I, I'm disappointed. Uh, the responses I'm not surprised by. And again, you know, the Holy Father responds that the Church has a very clear understanding of marriage, an exclusive, uh, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman naturally open to procreation. Only this union can be called marriage. So again, he, he, he does, he's not imprecise in some of his language, but he's always precise on what marriage is and on abortion and anything to do on the key issues for the Catholic Church. He is very clear. And he speaks kind of broadly or, you know, unfocused on other things. But, you know, I think that people forget, even under the 24-7 media that we have, this is completely new in the history of a 2,000-year-old Church, right? Before, mm-hmm. lots of things happened in Rome. And let me tell you, they were far more scandalous than anything that's happening now. And nobody heard about it because they didn't have 24-7 media. There was, I mean, people outside of... The, the little Vatican quarter didn't hear about it necessarily. I mean, because it took a lot longer for word to get out. And now I, don't, I, I get a little bit frustrated because everybody's suddenly an expert. And so they see a headline and, oh, my gosh, they're the expert. They have an opinion and they're the expert. And no one steps back. And some of this stuff is just, I, I think we're fanning the flames. I really, we're fueling the flames. I, I really do. I think that it's time to step back. Uh, there are plenty of things that can be done at the local level. You know, there's that old saying, think globally, act locally. Well, we all have needs in our parishes, in our homes, with our families, friends that can be addressed. And I would also challenge people, you know, um, and I mentioned this in one of the articles, keep your peace. Righteous indignation or righteousness or sense of conviction does not mean that you have peace. And, you know, in the Mass, we hear our Lord's words, my peace I give to you. And I think a lot of us, well, first of all, I wonder how many of us actually accept that piece. I mean, that's pretty profound. And secondly, I think a lot of us are more like Peter walking in the water where you accept it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no, ah, and you start going down. I need help. I need help. We have to be centered on peace. And in all these kinds of conflicts, you know what? There are two things that come out, great things and greater clarity on church teaching. And so uh, my advice to people is if this gets you all worked up and all upset, turn it off. And, you know, I had one priest message me recently about one of these Internet, whatever, Catholic debates in the Catholic bubble on the Internet. And he said he deleted everything that he posted and he went outside to look for a hummingbird. And honestly, I think that does far more to build up God's kingdom. Just because we all have to maintain peace in ourselves. And if this stuff is getting us rattled, and I think we're doing the wrong thing. And I, right now, I mean, I'm, I honestly am at a point where I'm kind of glad I'm not in Rome because I think I would be very rattled. Um, and I, I think we have to, we have the means of our sanctification right in front of us. Every single one of us does. And that's what's important that we know how to get to heaven and we can get worked up about all sorts of things. And how is that going to get us to heaven? It's not. And you know, I'll tell you this too. People should be very careful when they're around children, and I've seen this firsthand. Um, when you have 
people, you know, when the adults are always griping about the church and, and whatever, clutching pearls about this, that, or the other, kids don't learn how to love the church or how to love Jesus. And again, the, 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 particularly the family, and I include the extended members of the family here, this is, that's the first school. That's the first church. That's the child's first experience of, of a church, of a school. And if their experience is listening to the adults carry on about what's happening in the church, I don't think that's a very good model. And we, I think we, all of us listening have, have seen people who don't end up practicing the faith. They don't love the faith. That's not how you teach people to love the faith. So I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be concerned, but I think that people have to keep things in perspective. And again, it's, I don't know, if, if, if you want to read something pretty salty, read church history, because there have been a lot of things that have happened. And I hate to tell you, but under the pontificate of, pontificate of Benedict and John Paul, there were some crazy things happening as well. And this is the point. This is the church that Christ established, right? And he said that he will, he will be there. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, either we believe I that. I just said that at the top don't. of the hour, introducing our interview with you, that, that, to remember that and to concentrate on that well, verse. Well, amen. 16, Great minds think alike. I mean, and, and either we believe that or we don't. But we have to be acting with peace. And again, all, all of us have tons of things going on around us that need our attention far more than whatever's happening in Rome. Well, this actually ties in with your article with the Register, what's in play at the Synod on Synodality. It's almost 25 minutes past the hour, so we'll get a little bit more into this, obviously, when we get back. But the subtitle, Paraphrasing Pope Benedict, there are two synods, that of the media and the actual synod itself. Right. And I, right? so, you know, I'm, exactly. And I do, I'm not completely optimistic about what's going to happen at the synod. But at the end of the day, the synod is a consultative body. It does not tell the Pope what to do. It doesn't force the Pope to do anything. So they're going to spend a lot of time and money in talking about whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything. Hmm. From your lips to God's ears, but of course we know what the Lord said as in Matthew 16, 18, as we just mentioned. And so we have hope in that. More with Dr. Pia DeSlenny, by the way, her article. Again, you can find it on the register, What's in Play at the Synod on Synodality. Paraphrasing Pope Benedict, there are two synods, that of the media and the actual synod itself. More with Dr. Pia when we return on a Tuesday. Father Benedict Groeschel. I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self-indulgence and paganism. This is not just a nice discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I'm going to discuss what happens when people make it impossible to be prudent, just, or honest, or brave, or courageous, or reverent. When people make that impossible, what a terrible thing they do not only to themselves, but to our society. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Is the ecclesial ministry of the Catholic Church personal as well as sacramental and collegial in character? The Catechism says yes. Jesus Christ, the founder of the Catholic Church, calls his ministers personally when he says, follow me. 
The College of Bishops are related to the pontiff in Rome as Peter was related to the rest of the apostles. When Christ instituted the twelve apostles, he constituted them in a college or permanent assembly at the head of which he placed Peter, the rock of his church. Our Lord gave Peter the keys to his church, designating him the shepherd of the whole flock. The power Christ gave Peter to loose and to bind was also given to the College of the Apostles united to its head. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. What's at play at the Synod on Synodality? Paraphrasing Pope Benedict, our guest, Dr. Pia Deslani, says there are two synods, that of the media and the actual synod itself. It's an excellent piece that was just posted yesterday by Dr. Pia and on the register website, ncregister.com. And I think the headline itself and, and the subtitle of your article, Pia, as we said before the break, is, is really important. And I think you kind of hit the nail on, on, on the head because you know that's my area of expertise, the media. And as I was saying to you during the break, uh, many in the media have their own agenda on how they want to put this information out there. They want to give people the impression that after this is over at the end of the month, there's going to be all these changes because these things were discussed. And even in the response, the dubia response, the Pope's response, where he talked about the fact that the priests, the, the, the issue of female priests has been decided, and he followed up with the, with the uh, document from Pope Paul VI and also John Paul II affirming that. He said we need to study it more. Now, on one hand, people would say, well, why the heck do we need to study it if it's already decided? And on the other hand, as you said during the break, then, and, the, and actually the Pope said this in the response, not enough people understand why the church teaches what she teaches on the priesthood, on the male priesthood. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think, I, I mean, if, I, I think we in the church need to spend more time understanding and studying how we communicate better what the church teaches. These teachings are not going to change, right? But our communication of them could get a heck of a lot better. And everyone, you know, every one of us has had some sort of conversion experience where we just realized, like, oh, my gosh, Holy Mother Church, this is where my heart is. This is where my mind is. This is where I belong. This is the rock. This is home. And we know that there's, we're signing up for a certain set of behaviors, and we're really happy. We're, whatever struggle, we're, we feel more at home than we ever have in our entire lives. And we also know we have a piece about it. As we spoke about in the earlier section, we have a piece about that. And so I think what we're really missing the boat is um, how to how to communicate what the church teaches. And I think Pope Francis has been very good in pointing out that you can't just tell people, don't do this, or you can't, that's not allowed. So then how do we communicate what the church teaches particularly since we have more and more people openly living in um, states of life that are, are inconsistent or incompatible with the Catholic faith. So there's a really big challenge there, and I think we need to spend more time on how do you reach people, how, you know, and that we've also have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of failures on the part of the Church. Um, the abuse cases is one of them. I mean, it's never stopped. If you tell me a month that goes by where we don't have a headline about more abuse, and I, I know one priest uh, who's very high up in Rome, and he suggests that we need probably a, a novena, nine years of reparation 
for not following Humane Vitae and these scandals. And I tend to agree. I think we need to do something visible in which we show that the church dropped the ball on some of these things and, and needs to step up. Um, and the abuse thing is just utterly scandalous, particularly because we the news keeps trickling out, and, and it just it's never over. And uh, so many people are scandalized and disgusted. I know people who are asking me, you know, well, I, I have a son who's discerning the priesthood. How, how would I advise him? Honestly, I don't know how to advise him. I, I'd find a good priest to have him talk to because I'm not the right person, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a very good point, and I think that's what we, we also could keep that in mind. I can remember bringing up the whole thing about the, the priesthood, the male priesthood. Years ago at our parish, we had a wonderful uh, endow uh, chapter. Uh, they still have it. I, I, I went through it. I'm not in it right now, but endow was educating on the nature and dignity of women. It's a great study, a beautiful study program, and we were studying some of the documents of John Paul II, and the issue of the male priesthood came up. And a friend of mine in the class at that point did not understand it. And she said, I just don't get this. I do not get this. Why does the church teach this? If the church says that we're all equal, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I said, here's how I've come to understand it, that equality does not have to equal sameness. We are equal. That's right. It doesn't mean, as the Pope said in his response, it doesn't mean that we're lording this over women, but there are particular roles and we're created differently. We're equal but different, uh, created in God's image, male and female. And so we have certain gifts and talents and charisms. And men have certain gifts and talents and charisms. And that's why the male priesthood is given to us. And that's why women have other roles. And she said, oh, I never thought, nobody ever told me that. And I'm not saying that I'm some sort of theologian, but I just took two minutes to explain, look, this is how right. I've come to understand it after reading the documents. And she even told me recently this summer that that started her on such a path in terms of really reading more about it and learning. And all I did was say, well, this is, this is how I understand it. This is what I've learned over the years. But nobody ever explained well, it to I, her like that. And I, I do think that there's a tendency, we, we've, Really, we we have we really do need to unpack the vocation of a lady, both lay women and men. Um, but I would say especially women. And there's a wonderful biography out on Marie Vignerat, who was the niece of Cardinal Richelieu, and I probably butchered that accent. But it's called La Duchesse, the Duchess. In French. The title is in French. The book is in English, and it's written by Bronwyn McShay. I just wrote a review of it for America that I think will be published soon. It's a tremendous book about this woman who couldn't hold political office, could, ha- and yet she had access to power, and how she used it, both for France and the Church, is just fascinating. And she's a very complex person. Um, but Bronwyn McShay, the author, mentions in there that there was a, a, a great man history phase, and so I'm hoping to talk to her about this once the review gets published. I don't want to create a conflict of interest in which the, the stories of these incredible women were 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 um, destroyed. And so uh, Marie Vignerat, the only way she's portrayed is as this kind, uh, meek widow that would give money to St. Vincent de Paul. In reality, she and St. Vincent de Paul were very good friends, and she challenges him. And McShay actually says, makes the, the argument, which I think is pretty strong, that St. Vincent de Paul would not have been a great saint had it not been for his friendship with Marie Vignerat, who really challenged him and pushed him. So there is, we do need to, again, I, since I started my, my work on gender and women, I keep saying we kind of first need to figure out where we came from before we figure out where we're going. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of where we came from, we don't know it. We don't know that history. And yet, you know, there's art that celebrates women 
all over, you know, the Europe in the churches, particularly Italy, and shows them as strong and intelligent. And art imitates nature. So I'm kind of thinking, well, I think we're missing something. I think we're missing something. Maybe, I mean, I do wonder, and maybe this is too academic, but I, I do wonder if we've, particularly in the United States, we've become very Protestantized and very much under the influence of Protestantism. So I think that may have affected us. But, you know, I don't know, getting back to the Synod, I, I think that we just have to remember that we have to keep our peace. Some of us, like you, your work is you do have to keep on top of the Synod. That's your work. Most of us don't have to do that. And we can get on with day-to-day life and maintain that peace. I mean, reading about all the controversy is not going to bring us closer to Christ. It's not. Mm-hmm. If there's no. It doesn't add up to the time that we can spend in prayer, that we can spend being with people or serving them, or, you know, as that preacher friend of mine said, looking for a hummingbird. I mean, I think it's just absolutely paramount that we all maintain our peace, and that includes myself. Well, I think it includes, well, you're, you're on top of this because you're writing articles and you're, you're a theologian and an ethicist, and I keep on top of it, but I also know that I have a limit and that I can only take so much. And I, too, as a talk show host, yes, I have to keep on top of it and as a commentator, but I also know that I need my peace, and I keep my eyes on Jesus. That's where my faith is, and I, I believe in his promise in Matthew 16, 18. Should we be concerned? Yes, but we also need to keep our peace because if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to do what God called us to do, which is going to be following his will and bettering the church in the first place. Great discussion, Pia. Look forward to having you on again as the weeks unfold in Rome. And we'll be right back with a great story from Beckett Law, a victory for families and life. Stay tuned. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We get what we look for. St. Therese of Lisieux has an interesting insight on this. Once in a discussion over the possibility of avoiding purgatory, the future saint told another member of her community, Sister Maria Fabronia, that God was more father than judge. And in this discussion, debate, she finally took the liberty of saying to the other sister, If you look for the justice of God, you will get it. The soul will receive from God exactly what she desires. Are we full of wounds and anger and hurt, and do we want to inflict that on other people? Are we allowing God to heal us? If we receive his mercy, we have to show it to others. The Beatitudes are the heart of Jesus' message. Let's be transformed by them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. In Christ, we suffer, but it's a suffering that can bear much fruit. Our God can bring good out of the suffering caused by evil. God permits evil, and from the suffering caused by evil, He creates a reality greater than that which could have existed without the possibility of evil entering human experience. In Christ, suffering is fruitful. Those members of the body of Christ who are fruitless are removed. It's dead wood, and that's suffering. But even those members of the body of Christ who are fruitful are pruned, they're trimmed. Daddy squeezes and sometimes spanks in order that we would be more fruitful. Jesus again says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
Wrapping up a Tuesday show with Lori Windham from Beckett Law, Vice President and Senior Counsel at Beckett. And Lori, a good news story, major victory for faith-based foster care. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's great to be here. All right. So give us the good news. We can all use some right now, I think. (laughs) Yes, this is good news. A federal court has ruled in two different cases that the state of South Carolina is protected for doing the right thing. There had been a challenge to South Carolina's foster care system uh, saying that religious and faith-based providers uh, were a problem. Uh, South Carolina actually reached out. Governor McMaster issued an executive order protecting religious foster care providers, allowing them to continue operating in accordance with their faith. Uh, No good deed goes unpunished, so he was sued by the ACLU, uh, and the ACLU lost. And the federal court has said, no, it's all right to accommodate and to protect the rights of religious agencies out there finding families for children. So this is is pretty hot off the presses, correct? Because I'm looking at your press release, and it was just yesterday that you put the press release out. So this is like a pretty big breaking news. Yes, it is. And it's, you know, it's really exciting. These cases have been going on for a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, to see the federal court finally come out and in two different cases say that South Carolina did the right thing, South Carolina can and, in fact, must uh, protect the rights of religious foster agencies is an important step. Um, you know, now, it's, now we'll have to see if the other side is going to try and appeal these cases up to the Court of Appeals, even if they do. I think these are very strong rulings based on all the facts and the record, uh, and that the a higher court would agree. Let's talk a little bit about, now there have been other victories in other states, correct, with a similar situation? Yes, that's right. So in 2021, the Supreme Court unanimously protected Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia when they were at risk Mm -hmm. of being kicked out of the system uh, over their beliefs about marriage. And after that, that case settled in a great way. Catholic Social Services is open serving families and children today. The cases in Michigan settled. St. Vincent Catholic Charities is open serving families and children today. Uh, And we have seen many fewer challenges to religious foster agencies after that big victory. But this case in South Carolina had already been going on for many years, and the parties decided to continue it, go through discovery, get all the facts. They were trying to prove that there was some harm in this to having these religious foster agencies in the system, and it turned out they couldn't prove that there was any harm. There are lots of options out there for families. Faith-based agencies are out there meeting the needs of families. No one is being excluded. Um, and so when all the facts were in, the court said, you know what, South Carolina did the right thing by keeping the doors open for faith-based agencies. We're talking with Lori Windham, Vice President and Senior Counsel at Beckett. So, Lori, the main problem with those fighting this uh, in terms of these faith-based foster care agencies is that what? That they're not open to allowing people to place children with homosexual couples? Or what, what is the actual argument? They think that they should be shut down. Why? Yes, that's been, that has been the majority of these cases has been about saying, oh, these groups have to be willing to place children with same-sex couples, certify those families, support those families. If they won't do that then they have to be excluded. Um, There's an agency, Miracle Hills, a faith-based agency, works with people who share its Christian faith, Protestant and Catholic, and uh, they tried to sue and say, no, you can't do that. You can't even have that agency in the system. 
Uh, but what the court found here, looking at all the evidence, is there were more than two dozen different private agencies available to meet the needs of different families. And the state of South Carolina is actually the one, the place where most families go. They don't even work with a private agency. They go straight to the state to partner with the state. Um, and so there are a lot of options out there for families. And I think this is really important because the narrative out there has been, oh, no, families will be excluded, something will happen. What we found is that the opposite is true, that there are lots of options available out there for different families, and that if you shut down faith-based agencies, like what happened in Boston, like what happened in Illinois, where Catholic Charities was forced to shut down more than a decade ago, what happens is you lose families from the system. You lose agencies that are going out there and reaching out to families, going to the parishes and finding new families and new homes for kids. And over time, that means fewer options available for children who are in need of loving homes. It sounds like, and, and this is just me, a reporter, reading between the lines, it sounds like they're, they're trying to, to sh- shut down these places because they have an overriding agenda. And the agenda, at least it appears they're inferring that what's more important is their woke agenda versus providing a lot of options to help children. You know, what's a really disturbing feature of these cases is that the families who were suing, and this was true in Michigan, this is true in, in South Carolina, is that they actually weren't going out. Once they, um, you know, called up a religious agency in consultation with their lawyers at the ACLU and uh, filed a lawsuit, uh, they weren't then going out and uh, fostering children. They were waiting to see how their lawsuit played out um, before they, they even attempted to do that. And there was actually evidence in this case uh, that the ACLU had gone out and recruited families who would be willing to go and call up an agency, be referred somewhere else, and then file a federal court lawsuit. So this was a completely unnecessary case, a completely unnecessary challenge. It, with all the work that you do for Beckett in terms of religious freedom, I mean, the, the idea here is to really just try to punish people uh, with whom they disagree in terms of if you don't follow their woke agenda, then they're going to show you who's boss, and they're going to do it in any which way they can because they have the money and they have the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the power behind them, so to speak. I think it's, I think it's really well said. Um, we've seen it again and again. The goal is to make sure that people of faith who are out there uh, doing the corporal works of mercy, who are out there doing good things, will agree with things they don't believe with, believe in, will leave their faith behind, and will be forced legally to either leave, stop what they're doing, or agree with the other side's beliefs. And that, that's, that's the goal here. What do you think happened with the ACLU? I was just talking about this yesterday with someone who has a similar position with another uh, religious freedom law firm. I'm sure you know her great work, Erin Mercino. We were talking about uh, the ACLU. And she was saying, you know, it used to be where they represented people, even if they disagreed with them, but they stood up for their right to say, you know, to say what they wanted to say. It, it, they've just lost their way, have they not, the ACLU? You know, it's, it's really disappointing. Um, at Beckett, we believe in defending people of all faiths, whether we agree with them or not, and we stand strong and firm in doing that. And it's been really disappointing to see the ACLU. You know, they were on the other side from us in the South Carolina case. They're on the other side from us in Fulton. Um, you know, they, they say they believe in free exercise of religion, and yet here they are filing lawsuits intentionally to limit free exercise. Um, and that's really disappointing.
you think they get the message because they've had a lot of defeats on this issue or do you think they're going to keep at this particular type of case you know i am really encouraged by the fact that they have actually given up in pennsylvania they have given up in michigan and decided not to challenge those cases any further um, American United gave up in Washington, D.C. in a similar case. And so it'll be really interesting to see what happens here in South Carolina. We'll know by the end of the year if they're going to try and keep pushing this forward. Um, but we have seen, you know, a really encouraging trend, especially in these cases, foster care and adoption cases, of the ACLU actually backing away and realizing they are going to lose these cases in court and deciding that this is not the place where they need to be fighting. Well, I, I think it's really crucial, is it not, and you, and you know this because this is what you do every day, for people to be willing to go that extra mile with these lawsuits and, and to stand up and, and to take advantage of the system that our forefathers gave us in terms of, we hate to see it just go to the courts, but the fact that this is available to us, to be willing to do that, because the other side, in many ways, counts on us as just backing down. Uh, that's, such a, that's such a wonderful point. I think that a lot of what's out there is this assumption that if people are threatened, they will just say, oh, okay, we'll do what you want. We'll agree. We'll, we'll say, say the words you want us to say. We'll do this. And it's always, always wonderful when people of faith are willing to stand strong and willing to say, no, this is what we believe. We will not deviate from it, and we will stand up. And I'm so grateful uh, for the courage um, of Archbishop Chapier and Archbishop Perez in Philadelphia uh, and for the wonderful team at Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia who are willing to stand up and say, no, we're not going to close our doors. We are going to continue serving the city, and if we have to go to the Supreme Court, we will. And they did, and now uh, we are all blessed by that. Yeah, it seems it's very similar, for example, to the, uh, the, the baker in Colorado, going way back to the beginning of that story, which, which is still unfolding, in that they want to go after people with whom they disagree to shut them down and treating them as if that's the only bakery available in the entire state of Colorado, for example, or that this was the only foster agency in the state of South Carolina. That is not the case, and it was not the case in Colorado, and yet, no, you have to be shut down because you don't do what we want you to do in terms of relationships and what we think is important. Uh, that's exactly right. In both of those cases, there are a lot of different options out there. That's what the Supreme Court said in uh, in the Masterpiece case. It's what uh, the court in South Carolina said here. There are more than two dozen options. It's what the Supreme Court said in the Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia case. There are more than two dozen options. And so when you look at this, you realize this is not about making sure that somebody can find what they're looking for, find, you know, a, a foster agency to partner with or, you know, find a wedding cake to buy. This is about making sure that dissenting voices are excluded and are penalized uh, for standing up for their faith. Yeah, it's, it's just such a shame because that's not how this country was founded. And, of course, it's a shame to see this with the ACLU as well because years ago they at least understood what the First Amendment and religious freedom was all about. Unfortunately, that seems to have shame. Lori, what else are you working on right now? Any cases that you're going to be uh, expecting decisions on soon in the near future? Well, you know, the, uh, the, the next wave of these cases, foster care and adoption, sadly, uh, after realizing they can't uh, win against the agencies, we're now seeing states challenge individual families. And so mm. a rep Beckett, we're representing a wonderful couple, uh, the Burks in Massachusetts, who were ideal oh, yes. uh, mm -hmm. foster parents, got all the way to the end of this very long process, and were told no because of your Catholic beliefs about marriage. 
and gender and sexuality, you are not allowed to foster any child in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, deeply, deeply disappointing and heartbreaking for them. Deeply, deeply unconstitutional, and uh, and I believe the courts are going to rule in their favor. But again, you have to be strong, and, and thanks, but again, I know we did a lot of stories on those in our, our news outlets at uh, Catholic, news, uh, Catholic Register, National Catholic Register, and Catholic News Agency featured the couple in, in pretty big stories. So we're going to pray for them and thank them for their strength for going forward. Any idea how long that will take? I know you can't predict that, but are you looking at years or months, or what do you think? Uh, I hope months. We're going to hear uh, next week, we're going to hear what uh, the state of Massachusetts has to say for itself and how it's going to try and defend its actions here. So we are uh, eager for to, eager to see that, and uh, we, uh, we welcome your prayers, and the Burks welcome your prayers. Well, absolutely, and, and we welcome you back on, Lori, to give us an update. That will be great. We've been chatting with Lori Wyndham, Vice President and Senior Counsel at Beckett, Beckett Law. Org about a big victory for foster care in South Carolina. And again, if you'd like more information on this and other cases on which they're working, BeckettLaw.org. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. God bless your work. Stay strong. We'll keep you and your team and all the people whom you're representing in our prayers. It is almost 53 minutes past the hour on a Tuesday, October 3rd. We'll be right back to let you know what's coming up on a Wednesday. Stay tuned. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Can your messy house lead to anxiety? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians states that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If you walk in the door at home and you are greeted by clutter, peace may be hard to find. A messy house can lead to cognitive overload. While we're trying to concentrate on one thing, clutter can distract. According to research, women may be more affected by this type of anxiety. Societal roles and expectations can enhance the stress. To be fair, other underlying mental health disorders can lead to more clutter, depression, hoarding, and OCD, just to name a few. However, clutter can sometimes lead to more creativity. Bottom line, don't let a messy house define you as a good or bad person. Take baby steps to negotiate with those responsible for messes to make change or hire a cleaning person. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on clutter at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. This Ave Maria Radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. 54 minutes past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN, Global Catholic Radio. You may find us online, EWTN.com. And also, since we're co-produced by Ave Maria Radio, don't forget our affiliates, AveMariaRadio.net and the archives. You can get those by just going to AveMariaRadio.net and my wonderful producer, Andrew, usually posts them, I'd say, by noon. And this way you can go back, re-listen, or just share if you want to let someone know 
about a particular story that you heard or something in which you're interested. It's very, very easy to do. Okay, what's coming up on the docket tomorrow? Very excited always to have Joan Lewis with us. She will join us from Rome with updates. The Senate is opening tomorrow, so we'll you know, talk with her and get her perspective as we had an expert on today, Dr. Pia DeSaleni, talking about it as well. And Joan, I'm sure, will be approaching it, especially from a media perspective, because the sessions are closed to the media. So it's not as if the media can sit there and take notes. So as Doug Keck mentioned on Friday, everything that is being reported is going to be secondhand in the sense of somebody from inside this session is telling a reporter this, then another person from another session is saying this. So that's why it's so important to make sure you have good resources to find out what's going on. And as Dr. Pia said, to make sure that you're not being all consumed by this. And I talked about this on Sunrise Morning Show yesterday with Matt Swaim already. Balance. Yes, we can keep up on it, pray about it, but also remember at the end of the day to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then a familiar face to many, we're going to be checking in with Jeff Cavins, who has a new YouTube program. You don't want to miss the interview. That'll be a lot of fun. Appreciate the great work of Jeff over the years, including his start here at EWTN. Have a great Tuesday. Adomani. Talk to you on a Wednesday. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.